Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Zenny's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenny frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at Zenny.com. Hey, everybody, it's Monday. I'm taking your questions that you emailed me, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. We get into Edmund Burke versus Thomas Paine. We get into the Republican National Convention and what you can expect. We get into abortion and so much more. Big episode in store. Before we get started, please consider supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Helps keep our program going, helps keep us alive when you guys help support us at charliekirk.com slash support. Buckle up, everybody. Big episode in store. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. Happy Monday. We hope you had a great weekend and a big week is in store right now. My goodness, the Republican National Convention is up right now. This week, last week was the Democrat National Convention, and we went night by night and dissected what the Democrats did correctly and what I think they did incorrectly and some missed opportunities by them. And if you guys have questions, of course, you guys can always email us directly. It actually goes straight to me, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. And it's Monday, which means I am taking your questions. And if I select your question, you guys win a signed copy of the New York Times bestseller, The MAGA Doctrine. Let's start with Alicia. And if this is your question, just email us to claim your book. That shows us that you're listening. Okay. Hi, Charlie. Alicia here. How will conservatives survive a Biden-Harris presidency if Trump is not reelected? I honestly fear for my freedom and liberty and being able to make common sense decisions for my family. Thanks. Look, you should fear if Donald Trump loses. It should really make you operate with a sense of urgency. If President Trump loses this election, they will stuff the courts and they will come after everyone with bitter revenge. They'll make anyone that sided with Donald Trump on any sort of issue, political or otherwise, pay a very steep price. And myself included, I'm sure I'm on some sort of list that if Biden takes over the White House, they will come after whatever that I'm involved in very quickly and very harshly. And I'm not saying that as an alarmist. It's just honest that the Democrats, they play revenge-driven politics. They are driven by bitterness and arrogance and deceitfulness, and they consider people like myself to be a problem. And so that's the first thing, is that if you actually want to see a society where justice is impartial and where you have a stable and peaceable life that you can pursue, then Donald Trump is the only option. 
But Joe Biden, he will make the appearance that things are stable and peaceful. And similar to how Joseph Stalin went after his political opponents or similar to how Mao Zedong in China went after people that he disagreed with, the Democrats have that same sort of collective impulse. The collectivist impulse is probably a better way to say it, to use state power to try to go after their dissidents. And Barack Obama did this all throughout his presidency. He weaponized the Internal Revenue Service to go after conservative and Tea Party and Christian groups using the then acting IRS commissioner, Lois Lerner. For those of you that are new listeners to The Charlie Kirk Show, you might be 14, 15, or 16 years old, you probably don't remember the Obama IRS targeting scandal. The Obama IRS targeting scandal was one of the most egregious abuses of government power in the modern era, far worse than Watergate, that never actually got the justice that it deserved. The people that used the Internal Revenue Service to audit Tea Party groups and to target Christian conservatives were never held account. The main individual that was responsible for it was a woman by the name of Lois Lerner. You might remember that name, Lois Lerner. She was put on temporary leave. But as of today, Lois Lerner is still receiving her full pension and benefits from the United States government. Senior officials for the Obama administration visited the IRS division at the U.S. Treasury Department hundreds of times after Republicans in Congress looked into this. And it was shown after many different subpoenas and hearings that the IRS absolutely did go after Tea Party and conservative groups to punish them, to make it punitive. Joe Biden helped oversee this entire operation, and this was Chicago thug-style tactics done by the left when Obama was president. And a lot of you don't even remember it. A lot of you probably never even heard about it because the activist media intentionally did not tell you about it. And you could do your own research yourself. Just look up IRS targeting, and it's an IRS targeting controversy. There's tons of facts on the internet about it. And look, in January of 2014, James Comey famously said, uh, that an investigation said there was no evidence warranting the filing of federal criminal charges in connecting with the controversy. But because we didn't stop Obama during the IRS scandal, Obama then just used the same sort of thuggery tactics against Donald Trump. You see, when you do not stop these people, they then just go a level deeper and they continue towards their revenge campaign. And still, to this day, there are very few to any sort of criminal indictments up against the spying of Don- on Donald Trump. When Donald Trump's campaign was spied on, and was targeted by the Obama administration. In late September 2017, an exhaustive report by the Treasury Department Inspector General found that from 2004 to 2013, the IRS went after conservative keywords to choose targets for further scrutiny. That's right. This is according to, in targeting political groups, IRS crossed party lines, New York Times October 5th, 2017, you can check it out yourself. So this is not anything that is unfounded. This is well-documented that Barack Obama, especially during the latter parts of his first term, went after groups that had, quote, Tea Party, Patriots, 912 Project. The citation for this is by Richard Rubin and Julie Bikowitz. IRS looks at freedom groups, Bloomberg News, December 7th, 2013. So you get the theme here. This was a real thing. And so when Joe Biden wins, that's one of the first things he's going to do is he's going to purge the landscape of anyone and everyone that was near Donald Trump. And so if you're listening to this and you're a Trump supporter vocally, maybe they'll audit you. Maybe they'll come after your family. Maybe they'll come after your church if they've been outspoken. That's not the only thing that will happen if Donald Trump loses. Joe Biden will get us back in the Iranian deal. So the evil Iranian mullahs will have access to hundreds of billions of dollars in sanction relief and probably another couple billion dollars in cash. Israel will then 
be a target in the Middle East. The embassy will probably be closed in Jerusalem. The Golan Heights will be no longer recognized by the United States. The justices that will be put on the Supreme Court will be younger, more radical versions of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Justice Sotomayor or Justice Kagan. And the radicalism will continue from there. Joe Biden will make people that are in the same mold as Elizabeth Warren be head of the Treasury Department. And our government will be taken over by Bolshevik radicals and revolutionaries while a mentally declining individual will barely realize the weight of the office he is in and he will hand over all the power to the most sinister elements of our society. So, yeah, you should be really worried about it. However, do I think it'll be the end of America? Maybe. Maybe not. It's hard to say. I mean, some people say, oh, America will survive it. I don't know that. But it's actually completely irrelevant. It's irrelevant as to whether we are going to fight if Trump loses post-November. Now, I actually think Trump is on pace to win. I think Trump is on pace if he has a great convention week, which I believe he will. If Trump continues to campaign hard, if Trump continues to get the messaging correct, I believe Donald Trump will win, especially in these Midwestern states. They are becoming more conservative. They're becoming more intolerant of crime and arson and terrorism and insurrection. And these are good and positive trends for the president. But if Trump loses, if you're listening to this podcast, guess what I'm going to do the day after the election, whether Trump wins or Trump loses. I'm going to do two podcasts. I'm going to travel to more campuses and I'm going to fight harder than ever before. It's irrelevant. The election is just a snapshot in time. Saving America is a 24-7 job. If you're listening to this and you just kind of listen to this podcast and you get your information, God bless you. Thank you for that. However, we need more people like the left that take this as their daily obsession to save the republic. And if that's not you, totally understand that. Then help the fighters. Help the people that are like our freedom fighters at Turning Point USA, where all we do every single day is we think about how we are going to save the country. All we do is we think about how we are going to turn the civilization away from decline and decay back to revitalization and prosperity. And so how will conservatives survive a Biden-Harris presidency? It'll be tough. The day after the election, though, I'm going back to work. There's no vacation. It's not like the, it's not like the election is like, oh, wow, we're glad we got that over with no matter what happens and I can kind of just take a month off. No, saving the republic is something that all of us should be so focused on that we say, okay, the election's important. We have to get Trump reelected. But what are we doing after that? And this is something that we as conservatives have done very poorly over the last couple of decades. This is why I started Turning Point USA, is I felt that most of the focus was just on politics, not on culture. That's why at Turning Point USA, we're a 501c3 nonprofit where we're focused on education, where we're focused on the core institutional rot of leftism that has seeped into the hearts and minds of the next generation. And so, Alicia, I feel your anxiety. I get this question all the time. I got this question from a reporter recently. Well, what does the country look like post-Trump? I don't know, okay? What I do know is that the president needs to win if we want to keep this country a unionist country. And that's a little hat tip to Ben Shapiro. And we had Ben on our podcast recently, and you guys should listen to that episode. It was a lot of fun. If we want to keep our country intact— Donald Trump has to win. Now, if you're of the belief, well, we got to break up the country sooner rather than later, then I disagree with that fundamentally. I think that this country being kept whole and kept towards the direction of the best, most prosperous, stable 100 years we've ever had is the moral decision for our civilization. However, all that is being put on the ballot as a referendum in November. I'm never alarmist. I try intentionally not to engage in alarmism. 
nor do I try to get into hyperbole. However, it is hard for me to be able to articulate the danger that will ensue for anyone that believes in the Bible, that attends church, that owns firearms, that is trying to raise kids if Joe Biden gets elected president of the United States. If he gets elected president of the United States, we are all going to become targets of very bitter, arrogant, deceitful people that want to seek revenge because we interrupted their major power play when Hillary Clinton lost. Kamala Harris will be in a more important position than ever before that she could ever have dreamed of. And she will execute the targets. She will take over the attorney general's office through the vice president's office. And she knows how to run a prosecutor's office. And she will go after pastors and they'll go after conservative groups. They'll go after media figures. And that's just the beginning of it. They will shut down our energy dominance and our energy independence. They will put forth some of the most anti-Second Amendment measures you could possibly think of. And that's just within the first couple months of their presidency. So there's a huge sense of urgency. Your question was, I honestly fear for my freedom and liberty. You should. My goodness, you should be afraid. But if we lose, get back to work. Do not disengage. Do not all of a sudden become apathetic and run to the hills and say, I hope they eat me last. It's irrelevant. Whether you think you can win or lose is never an excuse as to whether or not you should fight for what is moral and what is good. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply make it through each busy day, everyone understands what it's like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD product. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. Started with revolutionary Theragun progressive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim they're organic but still contain up to 30% filler and these fillers are potentially toxic. So you can use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion on your massage oil to recover body balm for targeted relief, and you can sleep off quickly into a deep night's sleep. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again, but it's a buy one, get one free author at theragun.com slash Kirk. That is T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash Kirk. Theragun.com slash Kirk only until Labor Day. Now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, Theragun is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but the URL is Theragun, theragun.com slash Kirk. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund with 30 days of purchase. It's a great product. You guys got to check it out. Theragun.com slash Kirk. Okay, let's get to the next question. Hey, Charlie, I listen to your podcast every day and you are part of the reason I came to Christ. That is the coolest thing I can hear. Thank you. One thing I've been struggling to grasp is the whole view on abortion and being pro-life. If a woman, I mean a real woman, is raped and impregnated by her rapist and the woman chooses to abort the baby, are we not putting the law above the human by saying that she is sinning? Matt, well, first of all, this is one of the hardest questions I get to answer because it's not easy. But first, before we answer the question on rape when it comes to abortion, we have to come to a couple agreed upon givens, to use a geometric term. A given when coming to the issue of abortion is that it is a human life. That when conception occurs, when the sperm and the egg have that miraculous moment that science still has not been able to fully explain, that is a human life. That human life deserves protection. 
It deserves dignity. It deserves to be cherished and nurtured. Now, 99% of all abortions in the country, and this is a statistic that is almost consistent in every single state. It goes down to maybe 97% in certain states, but up to 99.9% in other states. Are elective abortions not related to incest, rape, or the life of the mother? Most abortions are a form of birth control. So according to the Guttmacher Institute, I might be mispronouncing that, but they are a 501c3 nonprofit that Their mission is good reproductive health policy starts with credible research. And actually, some of their other statistics are actually favoring abortion. On the bottom of their website, at the Guttmacher.org website, it talks about abortion is essential health care, always. So what I'm about to recite to you is not from a pro-life website. It is not from a crisis pregnancy website. So according to the Guttmacher Institute... 71,740 abortions occurred in Florida during a period of time. Out of those 71,740 abortions, 0.001% were due to incest. 0.065% were to protect the mother's life. 0.085% were due to rape. And 0.66% were fetal abnormalities. And 98.6% were elective procedures for social or economic reasons. So that's our starting point. This is one of the givens. Again, to use a geometric term, if you do not have agreed upon givens, if you do not have agreed upon foundation or baseline, we're just talking past each other when we do this. We have to have agreed upon foundational givens. So the first of which is that a fetus is a human life. It doesn't matter if it is a pre-born life. It is a human life. Now, some people say, well, it's not. Then what species exactly is it? Because it's got to be some species on the animal kingdom. Now, you can say it's not a fully developed human life. I agree with that. But it doesn't go through some sort of magical species change. I have a very well-viewed video. And you guys can check it out on my YouTube channel. I encourage you guys to please subscribe to my YouTube channel and press that bell so you know every time we drop a new video where this young woman was protesting at the March for Life, and she called it a parasite. In fact, my team is saying maybe we should play the tape on that, and I think it's actually important. We'll play a short tape from that. Play tape. Wait, so you think a six-week fetus is a parasite? Yeah, by definition, I think so. Now, why is that important? Because before I was able to actually discuss abortion with her, I had to discuss life with her. See, abortion is a procedure. It's not a medical procedure. People believe it's a medical procedure. Now, I believe abortion would only be a medical procedure in very, very rare cases. I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. But generally, abortion is a life-ending procedure. Typically, medicine is about the preservation of life. In fact, medicine is literally about the preservation of life. Medicine coming under the Hippocratic Oath is what? First, do no harm. Abortion violates that just from the presupposition of what abortion is because it ends a human life. You're doing harm inherently. If I told you that there was a medical procedure where the individual you're working on was no longer going to be living by the end of it, you'd say, well, maybe I shouldn't do that medical procedure. Now, some people say, well, Charlie, it's not a, fu- it's not a human life worthy of protection, but then when is? And some people say, we're going to wait for the heartbeat. Well, You have to understand that as soon as that human life is formed, the DNA is already in formation of being created. That that unique 
formation of life. And we did not know this, by the way, back when Roe versus Wade was decided. As science has progressed, we now have more clarity. We have more information on exactly the uniqueness of the life that is within the womb. So when we talk about human life, that specific deoxoribonucleic acid, which is what DNA stands for, will never happen again. So the pro-abortion activists have to be okay with disregarding something that will never exist again. That is the definition of unique. That is the definition of one in affinity. So if you're okay with disregarding something that might never be formed again, then you would be more sympathetic with the pro-abortion argument, but not completely. I believe that that unique life that is formed deserves the moral protection to be able to flourish and prosper in the society. So if we come from the given that is a life, then all of a sudden we have to ask ourselves the question, why are most people getting abortions and then disposing of that life? Why are most people eliminating that life? Well, mainly according to the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-abortion institute, which again, to reiterate, on the bottom of their website says abortion is essential health care always. 98.6% of all abortions are for social or economic reasons. So most people get abortions because of convenience. Now, mind you, despite 98.6% of people in Florida, let's just use that as the test case for this argument, are getting abortions for convenience. Well, then the question should be then, why is 99% of our conversation around rape, life of the mother, or incest? Well, the reason is because the pro-abortion activists are trying to distract us from the majority part of the issue. If we can agree that 98.6% of all abortions should not exist, then the abortion industry in America would disappear overnight. It would become a very rare, specific procedure. Now, I'm not defending the legality of abortion when it comes to rape. In fact, this is something I think there are very good arguments on both sides for. And I'm not going to dive into exactly my interpretation of it because I think it's very, very complicated, extraordinarily complicated. Let me tell you why. I think it's very hard for me to reconcile, to force a woman who did not consent to the creation of a child to then have that child, but which by biological definitional standards is half the man's. Very hard for me to be able to wrestle with that. However, when it comes to the mother's life, I do believe that in that very rare moment and 0.065% of the time, I do think it is acceptable in that moment for the woman, if she truly has her life at risk, then to have an abortion. Why? Well, because that woman can then maybe have more children in the future. And that woman also, and this is a lot of Orthodox rabbis agree with this, that woman, if you have to choose between one life and the other, if the woman dies, then actually the baby will actually might die as well. Very, very difficult situation to talk about. And so my position is that we should focus the entire conversation on the 98.6% before we even talk about the remaining 1.4%. In fact, I think the remaining 1.4% is nothing more than a distraction issue. If we can get to this by saying that abortion should not exist in our country if someone is having the abortion because they think they don't have enough money, that is unacceptable. That is completely and totally, in my opinion, a violation 
of the moral compact that we have as a nation to protect the vulnerable, to protect the least of these. And I want to be very clear. One of the ways I differentiate myself with some people in the pro-life movement is I am very sympathetic to women that have had abortions. I believe most women have been lied to. I do not come at this issue from a kind of moral mountain by screaming down at women that have had abortions and make them feel awful. I think that's a mistake. I think most women have been misled by the abortionists and the people that run these facilities. I don't even want to call them doctors because they're not doing things that are helpful for our society. They are eliminating our population. They are destroying lives and removing birthdays and removing dreams. I think that is just something that is completely awful. And I think Planned Parenthood should be completely defunded and shut down altogether. And that's, this is part of my biblical belief that all lives matter. But even if I didn't believe in the Bible, there is no scientific justification for abortion. There just isn't. They, if you believe that that life is a human being, then as soon as that life is formed, that life is deserving and worthy of the protection under the law. It's just that simple. And some people, like Pete Boot Edge, say that life begins at birth. That is so scientifically ridiculous that it's hard to even justify with a cross-examination. But if life then begins at birth, Pete Buttigieg, he believes in abortion all the way up to the moment before the baby is born, where the baby is crying and the baby has full capacity to feel, has the full capacity to live outside of the womb. And that's Pete Boot Edge Edge's view on abortion. But I think it's very important when we talk about the issue of abortion to not make women that have had abortions the enemy but instead look at them as individuals that we can communicate with, empathize with, and also bring over, over to our side. And abortion is not something that is a victimless act. A lot of women that get abortions regret it tremendously. A lot of women that get abortions feel as if that they have been lied to and betrayed. A lot of women that have abortions have physical, emotional, psychological and spiritual pain for the rest of their life. And just to be more clear, Pete Buttigieg says he supports um, people to have abortions up until the baby has first breath. And there's a lot of statistics, by the way, to show that women after abortions uh, have a lot of regret. So I appreciate the question very much, but I think our entire conversation needs to be focused on the 98.6% according to the Guttmacher Institute, 98.6%. I think that is just a moral outrage. There are a million abortions a year. There are about 3,000 abortions a day. We are destroying the black community in particular with our abortion policy, something that I think is a moral stain on our country. Here are just some more numbers about women who have abortions and some of the real and tragic costs that is associated post-abortion. Planned Parenthood states the following. Research studies indicate that emotional responses to legally induced abortion are largely positive. They also indicate that emotional problems resulting from abortion are rare and less frequent than those following childbirth. So they're just glamorizing abortion. I just can't think of anything more immoral than Planned Parenthood doing this. Unfortunately, statistics tell a completely different story. Two studies from Finland, and this is from Live Action, a pro-life group that I really appreciate. I actually contribute to because I am so passionate about what they do. Two studies from Finland show that women who had abortions were six to seven times more likely to commit suicide than women who gave birth. These studies were based on medical records rather than interviews. Statistics show that women have a higher rate of suicide after abortion. Suicide rates among women of childbearing age are approximately 11.3 out of 100,000. Post-abortion women have a rate of 34.7. Interestingly enough, women who have given birth have a suicide rate of 5.9 per 100,000. 
birth then seems to give protection against suicide. Another survey of post-abortion women, which appeared in Women's World, revealed that 45%, well over a third of women, had suicidal feelings following their abortions. Here's the thing about home security companies. Most trap you with high prices, tricky contracts, and lousy customer support. So while there are a lot of options out there, there's only one no-brainer, Simply Safe. The thugs, the criminals, and the vigilantes are coming for your family. Are you protected? Simply Safe is the option you got to go to. They got everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks of traditional home security. A thug might be in your neighborhood tonight and do something about it by getting Simply Safe home security. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. Just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. No technician required. I use it on all the property I care about. It all starts at $15 a month. Try Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com slash Charlie. You get free shipping and a 60 day free risk trial. There's nothing to lose. That's simplysafe.com slash Charlie. Hey, Charlie, I was watching the Democrat National Convention and I saw the young man that was stuttering asking Joe Biden a question. It got me to thinking, what is the Republican stance on handicapped individuals? Also, how should we handle handicapped individuals in our society? Thanks so much, Bob in Ohio. Well, thank you, Bob from Ohio for listening. And you win a signed copy of the New York Times bestseller, The MAGA Doctrine. Well, first of all, I, I was moved by that young man's uh, question. I actually think it was the best part of the entire Democrat National Convention. And I believe Joe Biden um, actually struggles with a stutter. And I think that that is a very unfortunate thing for individuals to have to deal with. I think that Republicans at times get attacked unfairly for being against handicapped individuals. We have a moral prerogative to look after the least of these in society. That's why I'm pro-life. That's also why I believe we should look after the blind and the deaf and people that are handicapped. Now, mind you, if I was nothing but a Darwinist, there is no argument you can make through secular humanist Darwinism to look after handicapped children. There isn't. In fact, it was because of the teachings of the Bible and Jesus Christ that we were able to humanize the handicapped. So because of nutrition problems and malnutrition all throughout the times of Jesus Christ, there were more blind people and deaf people than even in our society right now. And actually, there are many examples of Jesus Christ going out of his way and healing the blind so that they can see. It was both materially true and also metaphorically true. However, it's very interesting to go into the history of it. In ancient Greece and ancient Rome, blind boys were used as galley slaves and blind girls were used as prostitutes. It wasn't until the teachings of the Bible came into Greece and Italy and all across Europe and all across the Middle East where people that were previously disregarded were actually given meaning and given a place in society. In fact, in 630 AD, a center for the blind in Jerusalem was created by Christians. Simply put, the Bible created a compassionate God who saved us from all sin. That was basically one of the metaphorical framings of the entire Bible. And because of that, it calls us Christians to be loving and generous and compassionate to all people. We take this for granted in the Western world. We say, well, of course, handicapped people should be taken care of, and they should. Of course, deaf people and blind people, but that was not the case prior to the Bible. In secular humanism or just into the indulgence of mythology, and you just mythologize everything like the Greeks did, show me the argument through that moral framework or that moral ethic why someone who is blind should have meaning in society. However, if you believe in the Christian ethic, you can absolutely and very quickly 
come to the conclusion that blind people and deaf people have incredible and infinite amount of value on earth because God created them. God gave them life. God spoke them into existence. And so here's one thing that really bothers me right now and kind of connect it to the modern news cycle. When we close down these schools, you have to understand it hurts parents that have special needs kids an incredible amount. Understand when these schools remain closed, such as District 214 in Chicago, Illinois, right outside of Chicago, Illinois, I went to Wheeling High School. They are deciding to basically close their entire school system, their whole school district. I know parents that have special needs kids, that have handicapped kids. They do not know how they're going to be able to educate their children all day. For special needs kids in particular, parents move into some of these very expensive school districts. They get mortgages sometimes that push the boundaries of their income. They assume property tax burdens so that their kids can learn in special needs environment. This is not something to be scoffed at. However, in District 214 in Chicago, in Wheeling, Illinois in more particular, these teachers are earning $149,000 a year. And so these schools are now completely closed, run by Democrat teacher unions, and it is the least of these special needs kids that are being taken advantage of. So when we close the schools because of the Chinese virus reaction that happens in the suburbs of Chicago, we are then penalizing special needs kids. We are, and yes, you did hear me right, and I have a citation for this. In District 214 outside of Chicago at Wheeling High School, there are teachers earning $149,000 a year, $148,000 a year, $141,000 a year, $138,000 a year, $134,000 a year, $128,000 a year. I just provided the entire citation to our team, and we will be happy to post that on the Charlie Kirk Show. If you think your teachers are underpaid, just go to District 214 outside of Chicago, where teachers are earning $149,000 a year. Just think about that, $149,000 a year, and we wonder why the Illinois pension system is completely and totally backwards and bankrupt and insolvent. And so, look, Republicans have done a phenomenal job of actually standing with disabled workers and handicapped children. I actually think this is something that the church needs to do a much better job at, stepping up and helping be the social welfare institution where government has failed. It is the church that should clothe the cold, should feed the hungry, and should reconcile the lost. It is the church that should have been stepping up more in this time of crisis and helping businesses that were failed. Instead, I look at these massive Christian incorporated churches, and they have done very little to anything to help the community around them. It is the church that should be pushing the boundaries, always in the middle of the public square. And I've been so let down by seeing that in recent weeks. And so to answer your question, the Republican conservative position is that all life has value. It is consistent with the question I just previously answered on life in the womb and also disabled life. Understand that a lot of Democrats argue that babies that have fetal abnormalities should be terminated and not given a chance at life. I disagree with this. I do not think abortion should be based on the child's likelihood to be disabled or not disabled. I don't. I I think parents out there that have special needs kids would agree when I say this, that some of the greatest blessings that parents can have is a child that might have been disadvantaged in one way. I think that's all of a sudden assuming us as God, 
I think that's us playing God, and I think that is immoral to do. I do. I think that it is immoral for us to assume the position that we know exactly what is best at all times, and we are going to play the position that that life should not exist right now, and we're going to get in the way of it. So what is the Republican position? It's that all life matters. That's the Republican position. I was moved by the very same topic that you mentioned. I was. And I think that the Republicans need to also show that we are compassionate and that we are the preservers of those that might not have the same advantages that you and I have listening to this podcast. And whether it be a learning disability, whether it be someone that's blind or someone that is deaf or hearing impaired or visually impaired, or might be a physical disability, whatever it might be, it is the Christian ethic that makes the argument that that life matters, not the secular, humanist, Darwinist ethic, which is the survival of the fittest, disregard them, put them on the edges of society, and hope you never have to see them again, or just eliminate them in the womb. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want to know what you're listening to do to be actually what you're listening to, not what your roommates or what your kids are listening to. So right now, everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. Before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. The company was co-founded by people that you know, celebrities that care about noise-isolating fit. Uh, They're so comfortable. I can tell you that Raycons are the earbuds that everyone uses here on the Charlie Kirk Show. So get 15% off your order. Buyraycon.com slash Kirk. That's buyraycon.com slash Kirk for 15% off your order. Buyraycon.com slash Kirk. Hey, Charlie, I'm trying to figure out what authors I should read to make sense of what's going on right now. A lot of my teachers are pushing Marx, Engels, Hegel, and all of the far-left thinkers. Who do you think I should read so I can get a better understanding of the philosophical challenges facing Western civilization? Thanks so much, Greg from Rhode Island. Well, Greg from Rhode Island, that is a great question. Uh, We will get you a signed copy of the New York Times bestseller, The MAGA Doctrine. Signed copy, New York Times bestseller, MAGA Doctrine. Okay, well, I want to talk about two in particular here. And I also first want to just talk about thinker.org. They do a great job. Thinker.org, T-H-I-N-K-R.org slash Charlie. In our fast-paced world, it's tough to make reading a priority, at least it used to be. A new app called Thinker has solved that problem by summarizing the key ideas from new and noteworthy nonfiction, giving you access to an entire library of great books in bite-sized form. Reader listen to hundreds of titles in a matter of minutes, including old classics like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, to recent bestsellers like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. If you want to challenge your preconceptions, expand your horizons, and become a better thinker, go to thinker.org slash charlie to start an extended free trial and put your mind in motion. So, Thinker does a great job, and we they're exclusive partner here on the Charlie Kirk Show when it comes to being able to read and consume information quickly. I highly encourage you guys to check them out. But I want to talk about the divide, and it's really not a divide because I actually think they would agree on many things today. But it was a divide back then in some ways, and I think it's really interesting, of Thomas Paine versus Edmund Burke. So I think that some people mislabel Thomas Paine as being the – kind of author of American leftism. I think that's a really lazy interpretation. Thomas Paine was actually the author of the American Revolution. He most famously authored Common Sense in 1776. It actually came out right in February and March of 1776. It was the best-selling book in American history. It sold over 300,000 copies. And to kind of just extrapolate that to the United States population today, it would be like selling 11 million copies today. Just you understand how big of a deal this was. 
Uh, Common Sense was written in common lingo. It was written for the common man. And it argued that it was time to fight against Britain. Thomas Paine was always in search of a fight. He loved a good fight. He loved a good revolution. Uh, he was, he famously said, and you guys have probably heard this expression before, these are the times that try men's souls. He was one of the main reasons why the Declaration of Independence was written in the first place. You could say that the book Common Sense spurred the revolution. Again, it was written in the language of ordinary people, and it was something that people were able to rally behind and able to understand. Now, Thomas Paine had a very famous series of letters kind of going back and forth with what some people would call the kind of founder of American conservatism, Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke wrote a book called A Vindication of Natural Society. And Paine and Burke went back and forth kind of arguing in particular about the French Revolution. So Thomas Paine was kind of a revolution shopper. So he got the American Revolution underway and he's like, okay, what's next? So then he went and totally screwed up France. (laughs) So then he went to France and was like, let's do it here. And Edmund Burke understood the American Revolution. I don't, I shouldn't say he supported it. Edmund Burke was very much in favor of the British monarchy and the system and tradition. I think it's mislabeled as someone who was just a defender of elitism when in reality he was really a deeper thinker about the nuclear family, of what comes before us, of understanding where philosophy is derived from. One of his the main thinkers that he really appreciated was Aristotle for good reason. And so Edmund Burke in particular was a critic of the French Revolution. He wrote a whole book about it called Reflections on the Revolution in France. Thomas Paine was a huge fan of the French Revolution. But Edmund Burke understood the American Revolution was not about throwing out everything before. It was about getting a new system of government, but still keeping some of these systems that predated the American Revolution intact and in place. The French Revolution was nowhere close to that. The French Revolution was about total and complete upheaval. It was about destroying everything that came before history, culture, and even time. Edmund Burke wrote this in November 1790. And it was one of the best-known intellectual attacks against the French Revolution. If you want to know exactly what's happening right now, read Reflections on the Revolution in France by Edmund Burke. He was a harsh critic, basically calling out Robespierre and all of the individuals that were pushing back and up against this idea of the French ruling class saying, you're about to make a tragic mistake. And he was right. Edmund Burke predicted the rise of Napoleon and his reign of terror all across Europe and Burke argued in large in part that they were screwing up exactly man's nature, that man was actually flawed by nature, not good by nature. So this kind of divide, if you will, between Paine and Burke, people say, well, Paine was the revolutionary and Burke was the one that really wanted things to stay as they were. I think that is actually an incomplete picture of it. I think a better picture is that right now, Burke and Paine would be in full agreement. I think Paine would not want anything to do with the American left. And I know that Burke wouldn't want anything to do with the American left at all. And so I think that there would actually be an agreement that Western civilization is necessary to be protected. I think that Burke would be in total agreement of that. And Paine actually would help. He helped create Western civilization. So, of course, he would be in favor of that. So that kind of divide between Burke and Paine, I think everyone would find very interesting. And Common Sense by Thomas Paine is one of my favorite reads. I think you guys should check it out. Uh, I think you'll find a lot of meaning and a lot of depth in Common Sense by Thomas Paine and also Reflection of the Revolution in France by Edmund Burke. Hi, Charlie. I really enjoy your show and I'm interested to watch the Republican National Convention. You should watch. 
Hopefully I won't argue with the TV as much as I did during the DNC. I hope not. My question is, who do you think are the top most watched speakers at the Republican convention with whom we might not be familiar? Trump is a given, but who's in the shadows that we will really want to see? Thanks for your time, Grace. P.S. Are you speaking at the RNC next week? Tune in and find out. That's my answer to that. Just tune in, find out. Don't miss a second of it. What speakers? Look, the McCloskeys are going to be speaking, which are the unfairly criminalized couple that came out with firearms after a terrorist mob wanted to burn down their house in Missouri and actually just trashed their gate. Nick Sandman is speaking. Uh, I believe Kim Klasik is also speaking, as well as many others. Um, Just tune in and find out if I'm speaking. But I think the Republican convention, they have to get people excited about America. By the end of the week, they have to get more people excited about our country than on Monday. So by Thursday, more people should be fired up about America than they were on Monday. President Trump is a phenomenal showman. And I mean that in a positive way. President Trump knows how to put on a great show. I think the Republican convention is going to be must-watch television. And actually, every night at the Republican convention, make sure you tune into our YouTube channel because we are going to be going to you live every single night of the RNC. Please email us your questions, everybody. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Type in Charlie Kirk Show, your podcast provider right now. Type in Charlie Kirk Show. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Screenshot it and email us. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Freedom at charliekirk.com. And please consider supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support. We are recording this episode over a weekend so you guys can wake up Monday morning fresh with the facts to be able to fight leftism and defend our country. So if you guys feel so inclined, support our program at charliekirk.com slash support. It helps us keep going, hire more staff, and cover the cost of this production at charliekirk.com slash support. Thank you guys so much for listening. God bless you. Big week in store. Stay tuned. Stay subscribed. Thanks so much. God bless. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. A healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? Eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Ooh, maybe not so easy. But there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's Sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side. Your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart. They respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, all beds are on sale during the biggest sale of the year. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. That's sleepnumber.com slash p-o-d-c-a-s-t-o-n-e.